The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and on this show, we'll be turning up the psychological perspective on many life issues. To do this, I want to include you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in and email with comments at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. You know, we've heard a great deal about mindfulness. It's been considered an antidote to workplace stress, a daily stress reducer, a way of significantly addressing depression, anxiety, PTSD, and many more disorders or problems. A recent study by Harvard researchers in psychiatry research neuroimaging reports that participating in an eight-week mindfulness meditation program actually appears to make changes in the brain associated with memory, sense of self, empathy, and stress. What is this thing called mindfulness? How can we utilize it? Must we be experts for it to truly be effective? Our guest today is going to answer these questions and more. Dr. Elijah Goldstein is a psychologist, speaker, and author who has published numerous articles, chapters, and blogs, including Uncovering Happiness, Overcoming Depression with Mindfulness and Self-Compassion, The Now Effect, How This Moment Can Change the Rest of Your Life, and he's co-authored a number of books, one of them, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction for Everyday Life. He has a private practice in West L.A., California. Now, I have heard and been involved in Dr. Goldstein's webinars. I've been a participant in the sense of listening in. And when I heard he was going to do a six-month-long online course on mindful living that will be starting in August, I asked him, would you come on and do a mini-course in mental in mindfulness that will have major benefits, and he agreed. So it's with great pleasure that I say, Dr. Elijah Goldstein, welcome to Psych Up Live. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thanks again for having me. Okay, so let's start. What is this thing called mindfulness? Well, you know, a lot of people have heard this term for the past, you know, I don't know, 15, well, some people, some people for a whole a lot of years, but you know more in our uh, in our culture for the past maybe fifteen years, and seen on Time Magazine and and uh, recently, and all the ways you recently you also mentioned. But mindfulness is it's a very simple. There's nothing mythical about it. it. Just means you know awareness, cultivating our awareness of our everyday experience of our lives, becoming intimate with ourselves, maybe for the first time. Um, since in some ways we're wired to move away from what's uncomfortable and move toward what's comfortable, you know, what's uncomfortable <laughs> to us, inevitably, um, we don't really have a very good understanding of that. And so inevitably that, that kind of creates a lot of suffering. So there's the noun of it, which is just awareness. So that's what we're creating. Um, and then there's the verb of it, which is the action-oriented piece, which is um, really intentionally paying attention to something um, while putting aside our program biases. So in other words, kind of thinking outside of the... In other words, we're getting outside of the box of the routine and habits of everyday life within our minds and our behaviors, Um, and this helps us do that so we can see life with fresh eyes, maybe get back in touch with the wonder of everyday life, the joy of everyday life, um, uh, the play in everyday life, uh, and um, see ourselves in our lives more clearly and our relationships. 
So if someone might ask, how would we, you know, increase our awareness and move away from the negativity when we're in the middle of trying to catch a train to go to work? We're in the middle of a debriefing at work. I mean, how do we operationalize this? Well, the first thing to understand is how our, how our stress response, let's say, works, because those are, those are all like kind of sort of stressful examples. Um, uh, and, you know, we have these, uh, we have this kind of conditioned reaction between like thoughts, emotions, and sensations that happen at any given moment, meaning like you're sitting there, you know, waiting for, let's say, the train at work or waiting at a stoplight on the way to work or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden your mind starts kind of jumping into all the things that need to get done and maybe how you're going to be late. And all of a sudden that creates your, ner- your nervous system reaction, your emotions starts to, you start to become a little bit anxious as your heart rate starts to increase and your body starts to sweat a little bit, getting ready for that fight or flight response. And it's all, and as you do that, you start kind of, it spurs more kind of future catastrophic thinking or worrying or this type of stuff. So the first thing to understand is just a very simplicity, the simple biology um, and psychology of our stress reactions, which underlies just about everything when it comes to any, um, any imbalance. It's all based on the stress response. So stress could be wonderful. Um, a little bit of stress helps us create courage, you know, motivation, all these wonderful things. Um, and so stress is important. It's not something we want to obliterate in any way. It's so, um, it's key. And at the same time, it helps us become narrowly focused when we need to on something. Um, at the same time, once we get past that little bit, that little peak of when stress is kind of healthy for us and good, it quickly becomes very depleting. And it's a complete reaction between thoughts, emotions, sensations, and also the behaviors that we get involved in. And so one thing we have to understand is, just to understand, not take it personally, when I'm having a stress reaction, I can learn to be more aware of that in a more objective way, meaning like I I can learn to become more aware of how my body reacts to certain cues, internal cues within myself, certain thoughts and feelings in my body that my body's reacting to, or external cues. Someone someone walks by me and shouts at me, um, like me the other day when I was walking across the, the street. I live near a busy intersection, and... Uh, and and I, I'm cued because people don't slow down at this intersection. So I'm as I'm walking uh, across the street, and uh, 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 an older man comes, and he almost didn't stop for me. And it's a mm-hmm. pedestrian. Pedestrians have the right of way here. He almost didn't stop. And then as as he stopped, because I stopped a little bit to make sure he was going to stop, he mm-hmm. honked at me. And so he really caught me off guard. So my mm. stress response started to come alive. My whole body started to tighten up. And I started, this arousal started coming up in my body because I was totally keyed up for the fight or flight response, really the fight mm. response, more than the flight response in that moment. And so I could, I, you know, if I could, if I could, if I could slow down that whole experience for myself, I could see the blood rushing to my muscles and, you know, coming into my eyes and my attention starting to have my fist even starting to come together to let this guy know that this is a pedestrian walkway and he's in the wrong. And, you know, mm-hmm. I really wanted to make sure he understood that. And, you know, in that moment, you know, that's sort of in a bit what happened. I got kind of taken over by that stress response. And then I realized what happened. I kind of laughed about it and kind of, you know, continued on my way. You know, and he kind of sped off or whatever it was. Kind of laughed about it because I kind of realized that I got taken over by the stress response. So stress response, you know, it's, it's real. It, it happens so quickly, and we can sometimes catch it in the moment, and so we sometimes can't catch it till afterwards. And so mindfulness allows us to see things clearly, either in the moment or even upon reflection. And that's how we learn to use our mind to actually kind of change the neural connection, the neural, uh, the way our neurons are kind of firing. And then when we intentionally practice and repeat something over time, it starts to become more automatic. You know, in, in the in the world of the study that you just mentioned, the eight-week study, so a lot of that is based on this program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is a, you know, the, the, the workbook that Bob Stahl and I wrote uh, a number of years ago, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Workbook. It's based on that program. And, um, and so in that program, they have a real, and this is also in the field of psychology, there's this real def- differentiation between reacting to something versus responding to it. And, so, mm-hmm. and there's this, in some ways, there's this, demonizing of reacting, like reacting. We want to kind of move away from reacting and move more toward this really wonderful ability to be more uh, 
uh, conscious and intentional and respond to things. And mindfulness allows us to do that. However, I'll say this. The way that's talked about is not actually um, a, a wonderful way to talk about it because we are going to react in everyday life. And reacting right. is actually quite... Most of the time in life, we're reacting. And so what we want right. to do is just like riding a bike when, we, bike, when we intentionally practice and repeat something over time, we start to create a healthier reactivity. And mm-hmm. so where the stress response, where our ability to kind of manage the stress response happens so automatically that our hyperarousal starts to come. So, for example, in a perfect world, you know, you know, with me walking across that street, the hyperarousal would start coming up within me. And then automatically I would take a deep breath and my body would soften and I'd have this perspective that, you know, I'm not going to teach this guy a lesson in, the, in this moment. He's not going to remember, you know. And so, you know, maybe, you know, in this moment it's best for me to just kind of like, you know, in my mind just do a gentle bow to him and kind of walk off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that takes practice and repetition. And, and completely, and the reason I tell you that story is that even a teacher like me who's been practicing for, you know, years and years and years, um, uh, it's completely imperfect, and that's okay. That's all part of it. And so we learn how to be really forgiving with ourselves um, around this stuff. And the, well, the more we're forgiving with ourselves, the actually freer we will be. Well, now, one. let me just comment on your little story, because I think you've said some really important things. So one thing we want to do, and you earned a score, and we need the stress response. So if he had almost hit you, Elijah, the fact that your body would have gone into flight and jumped right out of the way, we need that. That's life-saving. Well, on no, the no, other no. hand... I wasn't fleeing out of the way. I was no, I know you didn't. I didn't. flight response. <laughs> right. No, no, I know that. I was That's just about right. okay. to say, you know, so if it had happened that he had, you know, we were on a bike and he veered yeah. to you, you know, you, you want your body to respond quickly. But what you didn't do is decide to bang with your fist on the roof of his car. Um That's right. And and that's the point at which people have said to me, you know, things happen and um, I'm not going to just know how to do this at the time when I'm so upset. But you said something which, it's funny, someone this morning was mentioning it, and that is, if you, as you said, revisit it after the fact, whether you used breathing or mindfulness, and I know you're going to talk about that, the fact that you almost mini-debrief yourself and think, okay, this happened, and then I decided to walk away, or then I could have taken a deep breath. I think you start to get your brain used to an alternative response than just the fight-flight reaction. That's right. This is possible to respond differently. Right, right. So... You say you automatically went into the breathing. Now, everything you read about mindfulness seems to be connected with breathing, uh, which makes people worried and helps other people. So where do you see breathing coming in, and how do I do this if I'm not someone who's into meditation? Well, you know, breathing is someone that every, everything is something that every human being does, whether they're into meditation or not. And it's just something that nourishes us. And actually, when the out-breath allows us to nourish the, you know, trees and everything else around us that are also alive, where we have this completely complementary relationship with nature, um, you know, where we feed nature, nature feeds us, oxygen in, carbon dioxide out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so we all breathe. So, you know, the, we don't have to, but what I, what I would say is this, our minds make up all kinds of stories about what we can and cannot do. And, you know, that's the first thing to just be aware of. I cannot meditate. Um, I cannot, you know, I cannot sit still. Um, I cannot, you know, do this type of stuff. I've tried it one time. I cannot do it. Um, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's important to understand that we have these thoughts and beliefs, and thoughts aren't facts. Um, and so we can kind of maybe understand that when we're training in mindfulness, let's say, there is an initial practice maybe that some people would teach that's a breathing practice. Although I'll say this. So for example, in a course in the course for mindful living, um, that six month course that you had mentioned to people um, that's coming in uh, mid August, there's something that's not taught so much in the current mindfulness um, programs out there. That's a really important practice um, to prepare the mind for maybe let's say a, a mindfulness breathing practice that, you know, you had had said maybe some people might say I can't do. 
And it's really helpful to, you know, create the, prepare the mind in a particular way so it feels like it can be kind of successful with, okay. let's say, a breathing practice or any other kind of mindfulness practice that's, that's out there. But breathing is the, you know, one that we all kind of think about when we think about, you know, meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a practice that's our initial practice, and it's really about teaching people how to relax. Um, okay. You know, that's really important. When, when a mind is relaxed, when our mind and body is relaxed, we actually tend to be able to focus better. Okay. Um, and we tend to be able to be with something more um, and, uh, and not be so restless in our minds. That's the problem. Sometimes I can't sit down to meditate. What they're really saying is, I'm so restless. Right. My mind is so restless. My mind and body is so restless that I just really can't do this. Um, mm-hmm. It's not for me. I can, I can maybe, and again, let's just say that this is not for everybody, too. Now, there's no, this is not a panacea for just like the, you know, everyone. I will say that it does, for a lot of people, lead to a greater sense of peace within oneself. And there is a reality around emotional contagion and a lot of science behind that. Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler did, did a lot of uh, uh, research mining this, um, this study, this 50-year heart disease study, and finding that within... Three degrees. Obesity is contagious. Loneliness is contagious. Happiness is contagious. We know that when we smile, other people smile. We yawn, other people yawn. So emotions are contagious. So if you do have more peace in yourself, you might be creating more peace in the world. Okay, so we'll just say that as maybe like a theory. We'll put that out there. That has okay, a I'm going to stop you right here because we're going to take a, a break. And I know you're going to talk to us and our listeners about this relaxed mind that will enhance or facilitate breathing. So let's take a quick break and come right back to that. Um, You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and today we're speaking with Dr. Elijah Goldstein. He's giving us a mini course on mindfulness. It's sort of a preface to his six-month course that's coming up. Um, We'll be right back. Stay with us. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. On the morning of August 5, 1962, the world awoke to the shocking news that Marilyn Monroe, one of the biggest icons in Hollywood history, had been found dead. What really happened that night? Join Nina Bosky as she seeks to uncover both the life and tragic death of Marilyn Monroe and what keeps her so popular over 50 years later. Good Night Marilyn Radio, live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. 
Welcome back to Psychic Live. We're talking about mindfulness and, and we're trying out some practices with Dr. Elijah Goldstein. He's the author of Uncovering Happiness, Overcoming Depression with Mindfulness and Self-Compassion. So, Dr. Goldstein, you were sort of helping us set up to relax, to take on the breathing. Maybe we could proceed from there. Okay, sure. So let me just kind of explain. Uh, let me just kind of explain what this practice, how you how you do a practice like this. So, again, typically when people think of a mindfulness meditation practice, they think of just kind of settling into, you know, noticing your breath or watching your breath, a particular area of your body, your nose, your chest, your belly, whatever it might be. Idea is to kind of focus on your your breathing. Um, so, then just be aware. But prior to doing that, as we are, we were just discussing, that you know, it's really uh, what can help and enhance our ability to kind of do that in a um, deeper, for some might say, more successful way, is um, to prepare the mind. And so this kind of relax, so this kind of like relax and release practice, um, you know, is pretty much uh, an, a, um, an example of one of the things we do maybe in the first month of A Course in Mindful Living, which is um, that we just kind of lie down. And that's kind of the important thing is just like you're really just trying to be comfortable. Like, if you want to learn, teach yourself how to relax, like, get comfortable. Um, you want to get comfortable in this particular practice in a way that also allows for sort of a straight spine because um, you're, it, there is going to be some breathing, but it's not going to be the breathing that you might think about when you think about mindfulness or meditation. And when you have a straight spine, you allow for a non, an unobstructed breathing. So you could, to give you an example of ways that you might do this, is you could just lie down like you would on your bed or on the ground or whatever, um, you could sit in a reclining chair. That's fine too. You know, as long as you have your 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 your, uh, your body straight and supported. Or I mean, you could sit in a chair too and just kind of sit with kind of a straight spine. That's okay. Either way is okay. But you know, I would just recommend just lie down. That's the easiest. But lie down. And so as you're lying down, what we're what we're kind of guiding you to do, or what I'm guiding you to do, as is just to kind of allow your body to completely soften as best as you can. Like, check in with your body. Notice if there's any muscles that are tense or holding or contracted. Or I, to, I like to use the word bracing. And see if you can kind of just allow those to soften. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to start to notice that this body is breathing, right? We don't need to breathe in any particular way. We're just actually noticing the body's breathing. So in some ways, Here's a point in the day where you don't need to control anything. And so you can, like, completely let go of any need to control anything at all. Your just body is breathing. And so with this particular practice, you're really having a focus more on the out-breath, your body breathing out. And as you breathe out, you are um, releasing your body a little bit more. So you're allowing your body on the out-breath to release a little bit more, but you're also... Um, uh, you're also like imagining if your mind is busy that your thoughts are also just kind of flowing out through your mouth too or your nose. Um, and you're just kind of allowing that to just be carried away. So each time you're naturally breathing, the out breath is just kind of like releasing, flowing out. And sometimes I might recognize that if this is what I'm needing, I might kind of pair it with some words, something like as you breathe in, you might say, calming my body. Uh, as you breathe out, you might say, relaxing, releasing, something like that. You can, cause that helps kind of, it helps you stay with the practice, but the whole practice is not about just awareness, mindfulness. It's about releasing, relaxing, learning how to release, relax your body. And so really the practice goes like that. And just like with anything else, whether you're doing your email or whether you're talking to a friend or whether you're, you know, whatever, your mind's going to go off and it's just part of being human. That's all. And so um, when you do that, there's a practice I have out of the now effect um, called see, touch, go, which kind of shifts the way we think about maybe the wandering mind for a minute, which is this idea of, of uh, when your mind goes off, as it inevitably always will, perfectly fine for it to do that. Instead of kind of just bringing it back, the idea is to come back to the body releasing, relaxing. Instead of doing that, I, I actually recommend that people spend a moment with wherever their mind had been wandering to, because mm-hmm. A, it could be a, an important thing they maybe need to remember, or B, it could be a, quite a creative thought. Our minds are quite creative. 
So you just kind of spend a moment with that, which helps kind of record it in memory a little bit. And then after you do that, then you very gently bring your attention back to this body, right? The whole thing about this, this breathing practice is, is that you're really kind of embodying it. You're being aware of your body lying here. And then you're kind of, again, breathing in calm, breathing out, release, relax, or you don't have to use those words. You can just, you can just, uh, you can just soften your body on that. And inevitably, you'll just kind of get into this flow of just kind of being there in your body, just naturally breathing, settling into relax. Now, here's the thing about this. This is very important for this particular practice. That's why we spend like a month with practices sort of like this to really teach us how to, you know, um, get into more of a calm place is um, because it takes time. It's not like one time I got it type of thing. It takes time. We've got right. years and right. years of wiring of our nervous system kind of being restless, amped up, you know, this type of stuff. And so it takes a little while to kind of unwind from that. But what's going to happen is when your mind wanders, it's going to go to one of two places. It's going to go to a really busy place or it's going to get to a tired place. And your job in this practice, you can kind of think of it like a game, is to see if I can balance being really relaxed and aware and awake at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's the tough part. So that's the kind of playful part about it, because we're going to go into a busy place or a tired place, and we're going to bring ourselves back to, can I really be aware, fully aware, while I'm completely relaxed, softened, coming back to breathing in calm, breathing out relaxed, whatever it might be. Um, And so that's the kind of playful thing about it. And so we're kind of mastering, creating confidence around that initially. That's a really good initial practice prior to actually doing any of these, like, mindfulness meditation practices, um, the, like, maybe classic breathing practice. Um, that's one preparation practice, as an example, that's really helpful. Well, one of the things that I like about this is, A, you, it's suggesting, yeah, you don't have to go to a studio to do something once a week. You have the option, when you think about it, everyone at some point, and sometimes you practice at the good times, can lay down for a minute, sit on their recliner for a moment, and just be and notice themselves breathing, as you're saying. And there's been so much worry that if my mind wanders, then I'm not meditating. Here we're saying, I'm repeating what you're saying, so you're curious where your mind goes, you notice it, and then you come back. It's from what I can understand about the way you teach it, the more this becomes a default position for you, it really becomes a wonderful asset. Because then, in fact, when you are in a stressful moment, people are fighting, someone's sick. This is not something you're learning on the battlefield. This is something you already, your brain already knows because you've done it many times, even when there is no pressure or crisis. That's right. Yeah. The idea is to kind of practice it when you're not in the middle of crisis. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because when you're in the middle of crisis, what happens is your blood flow kind of retreats from your prefrontal cortex and goes to the amygdala, you know, cause it gets a, it gets the lion's share of the, of the, of the electricity and blood flow there. And, um, and the prefrontal area is involved with emotion regulation and impulse control and, you know, all those things. And so, um, you don't have the wherewithal to actually do that in that moment. That's why even, you know, that's why with me crossing that street, we talk about, I kind of got, I did get overtaken for a little bit around that stress reaction and the fight, Mm -hmm. the real fight, flight, but the real fight response. And, um, because, you know, the, as we go deeper into the subcortical regions of our brain, the the activity is a lot faster there. So it's really, you're not going to really catch it, um, before you, your awareness catches, your awareness will come kind of, will lag behind. Like the prefrontal area, the the action there lags behind the amygdala or limbic system, the emotional region of the brain. And that part of the brain is the one that makes the first quick decision. Am I safe? Mm-hmm. Am I not safe? What should I right. be doing in this moment? And then if they're safe, then they'll bring the prefrontal online. So it takes a little bit to kind of be aware of, oh, but we can learn to get better and better at being aware of when our stress reaction is getting, when we're getting kind of enslaved by it. Um, certain mm-hmm. patterns, behaviors um, that we get caught in over and over and over again over time, whether it has to do with eating or in relationships or at work or whatever. We can learn to get better and better at being bringing awareness to that and creating mastery around it. And this initial particular practice um, is really important. You might think of it like sort of as a, um, 
like an, an on-ramp onto the highway. Like we want, we want to kind of support ourselves so that when we're on the highway or the mindful highway, let's say, we are, you know, we have the wherewithal to kind of, you know, really optimize our experience with those practices. Now, one of the things that people talk about, this is Tom Clark in his book, Moments of Choice, and I think you suggest this too. Once you have some real familiarity with knowing what your body feels like in a more relaxed state and being able to notice your breathing, I wonder if you could talk how the breathing becomes a pause button that allows you to have moments of choice, Elijah. How is that? How does that unfold from this? Um, well, I oftentimes think of, and again, this was um, this was a uh, a guy that you know had a big influence on me for you know a while and continues to. Um, you know, Victor Frankel, who was a mm-hmm. you know Holocaust survivor and you know neurologist, psychiatrist, and he had the quote that, been, that had been attributed to him that said, "Between stimulus and response, there's a space, and that space lies our power to choose our response, and our response lies our growth and our freedom." And so the mm-hmm. breath, you know, allows us, even when we're just kind of being aware of the breath, we'll notice that there's sort of a space between the in-breath and the out-breath. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting to kind of notice spaces just in breathing alone. But the breath allows us to widen that space between stimulus and response where choice, possibility, and perspective are. So, and so there's a couple things that happen. One is as we pay attention to something, neurologically, it turns the volume down in the part of our brain that's trying to analyze and figure things out. Mm-hmm. That's the part of our brain that is encouraging and fueling the stress response. And so, uh, meaning it's trying to catastrophize or plan for the future, rehearse things, you know, in that moment, consciously or unconsciously. And um, it's, it's giving fuel to our kind of stress anxious reaction. And so, as we really pay attention to this one thing, what happens is the the activity in that part of the brain, which is called this cortical midline, this part in like the middle of our prefrontal area and up, is, uh, gets turned down. The activity gets turned down. Well, this other area, um, that kind of is a, you might think of it as a, um, a communicator between the prefrontal and the limbic region, um, gets turned up. And so as we pay attention to the breath, what's happening is we're actually, we're actually uh, if we trust in that, we're um, starting to widen that space between stimulus and response and start to kind of turn the volume down the nervous system in that moment so that we can bring the prefrontal cortex online um, and then look at the situation and have greater perspective on mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so in that, we might realize, oh, I don't need to bang on this guy's, you know, window. Um, instead, I can smile at him and wish him well and hope that he, you know, becomes a more careful driver because if he does, the world would be a better place. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. And right. so, um, you know, so, but you have other choices, or you can just ignore them, or you can just, like, you know, whatever. Next time, make a sign as you're walking across the street that says, please slow down, pedestrians, you know, whatever. Um, so, right. you, you, by being aware of more choices, you're also creating more possibility, which is quite hopeful. And when we're more hopeful, that's a natural antidepressant, it's a natural mm-hmm. anti anxiety. Um, and, you know, these are quite important things. So widening that space between stimulus and response creates more choices and possibilities within us, the knowing of that, which is quite important for our health, well-being, and happiness. I, I think it, it's so, it gives one a sense of um, viability to know you can make the choice. I think this is where it's worth underscoring. People have said to me, I know all about this stuff, I know all about breathing, but I can't stop yeah. worrying about A, B, C, D, E. But the fact is... Uh-huh. I think unless you actually physically relax enough to practice or to just notice, as you say, the breathing. Um, Elijah did a program with adolescents where he had them put a rock on their stomachs and they saw it go up and down. That became like a tangible um, kind of uh, symbol for them. I think that's where the gap is, to really buy into trying to have that kind of body control it's really body mastery it it's we've really seen body mastery affects mental emotional and brain differences it does yeah no questions 
you know, the, uh, when we were doing that in our, so that was a pro, the, the example you gave was, was out of our, my wife and I, Stephanie Goldstein, created a program called Calm, Connecting Adolescents to Learning Mindfulness. Still taught to this day and very powerful. It's the first teen program that you'll, you'll see, um, fMRI research come out of. Um, that's mm-hmm. coming out of USC. And, um, you know, we, we knew with teens, um, you have to make it a little bit more playful. Um, you know, and, and it really should be with adults too, as it turns out. Right. Yeah. It's really how, yeah, play opens the door to, to learning um, and being open to things. And so, uh, you know, so, but with, you know, with, with kids, you know, you get this thing called a breathing buddy, which is like a stuffed animal put on your belly. They notice the belly rise and fall. And with kids, it's motivating because you say you pick your favorite breathing buddy, pick your favorite stuffed animal, you mm-hmm. know, and with the teens, what we did was we created a little river rock and, um, and uh, wrote the word breathe on it in white, um, like uh, it was a white paint pen. And, um, and then they can feel it on their belly. So immediately, yeah, you, come, you can't help but feel the cool rock on your belly. So it mm-hmm. brings you to the sensation of this moment. And right. so then the idea is to make the rock rise and fall and rise and fall. And yeah, there's a wonderful example of a, a kid in our program. Um, some kids get, you have to be paid to go in the program. Some say you won't get your uh, smartphone back until you complete the program. Some people want to self-select into the program, some teens. And this kid had a major anger problem, particularly with his parents, and mm-hmm. um, he didn't want to come to the program. But after a, we, we lucked out, and after a, a session, because she said, his mom said, go into this program. Uh, if, you let, if, uh, if, you, if you don't want to do it after a session, you can leave, but try it out, and tried it out, and he liked it. Yeah. Um, so he, so he stayed. Okay. We lucked out. And, um, and so he did this river rock exercise, the breathing exercise. And, you know, one time when he was having a massive argument with his parents, he went into his room and slammed the door like he usually does. But at the corner of his eye, this river rock now became a cue because he was sitting on his desk. Reminded him that he had the choice. But why in that space between stimulus and response for a moment? And he had the choice to lay down and just kind of noticed this rock rising and falling on his belly. And so he did. And in doing that, he kind of fell his nervous system down, brought blood flow back to his prefrontal area, and, and said what, what, he, what part of the prefrontal he had at that age. And he said um, to himself, you know, I can do this differently. I can go talk to them about what was bothering me. And he did, and they had a really, really fruitful discussion. His mom became a giant advocate after okay. that for the program which we we're left out have, with as well. And, okay. um, so Elijah, we're really going to have to take a break. Yeah, he, it sounds like a, we'll pick it up right on the other side. He sounds like he got a lot out of it. Um, you've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Elijah Goldstein, mindfulness expert. We're talking about operationalizing mindfulness, really making breathing a part of your life and awareness a part of your life. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking about mindfulness with expert Dr. Elijah Goldstein. Um, we've already been sharing a lot. Dr. Goldstein, I know our listeners are going to want to find your material, order your books, take a look at this six-month online course. How do they do that? I mean, basically, you can find everything on my, on my website, ElishaGoldstein.com. Um, there's kind of headers for all these different things, whether it's a book, or a course in mindful living. I mean, obviously, the course in mindful living is the thing that I'm most excited about. It's a program like like that that no one's ever created before, as far as giving people the the time and support, uh, more high touch support that people need to really integrate this work into their lives. Right. I think six months really will allow for integration. I mean, I think you'll carry so much with you after that. I've already signed up for it. Um, okay, so one of the, I mean, you're really known for your book on uncovering happiness, overcoming depression with mindfulness and self-compassion. I wanted to be sure to ask you, tell us a little bit about how does this really help depression? Well, depression is based on the beginning of uncovering happiness. You know, I talk about something that, you know, the feedback is, or thousands of people have kind of come back and said that, you know, this part was so important, this kind of initial part, which was that Depression is really a conditioned reaction um, between thoughts, emotions, sensations, and behaviors. A little bit of what we were talking about before, like, like the stress response, except particularly for um, depression. And so here we have, you know, negative. You know, we're wired towards more negativity um, because we're wired to survive, and that's more the fear fear response. And so we tend to negative thoughts tend to be a little stickier. So we have these negative thoughts, these these um, these emotions of like sadness, guilt, and shame which shame is recorded in the brain the same way as stress is, so layering on more of that. Then we have these, uh, these sensations in the body of heaviness or anxiety, and that usually leads to some form of avoidance, um, you know, whether, it's, whether it's eating or drinking or procrastination or whatever it might be, to, get a, to, not, to move away from the uncomfortable feeling, which inevitably brings to more self-critical thinking, self-judgment, um, stuff like that, which kind of enhances this depression. And so what happens is once we're able to kind of name that, like what's my loop in particular, um, it's bringing, it's, in, it's implicitly bringing mindfulness to it. Because we're saying, oh, okay, this is not me. It's a conditioned reaction. I can um, objectively look at, you know, and even just list on a piece of paper, thoughts, emotions, sensations, behaviors, which ones to me are my depression loop. And so mm-hmm. that's the first step is being understand, understanding your own depression loop is the first step. Um, the next thing is really understanding uh, uh, your kind of the habits, the bad habits, which are really the behaviors. There's two, the two different ones. Behaviors is, is what we first think of and the thoughts that we have. So the bad habits and how to reverse those. So we're not going to get into that. We don't have enough time to get into that. But then also the thoughts, um, which are really the, our number one bad habit is really our thinking. Because right. the thoughts come before the other bad habits, like such as, this is bad, I need to get away from this uncomfortable feeling, let me go eat that bag of potato chips, comes before the eating that bag of potato chips, or, you know, I'm not worth anything anyway, and so I'll just eat this bag of potato, whatever it might be. And so, um, so uh, we have to learn how to work with, you know, those particular thoughts and beliefs that are really fueling the depression. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one way that I... You know, work with work with them. There's a couple different ways. Um, I love Byron Katie's uh, four questions, which I have an adaptation of those, which is just kind of looking at this thought, such as I'm a you know I'm a terrible I'm, I'm a terrible person. Let's say as an example, um, and you ask yourself, is that true? And then, and then you uh, the response typically is yeah. <laughs> that's why that's why I had that thought. And then mm-hmm. the then the the next question is that absolutely true. And, um, and the, do I know that for a fact? Would everyone agree with this? And you have to say, well, maybe not everyone. I can't know if it's not absolutely true, but, um, 
so, you know, so there's a little door opening there. And you say, well, okay, well, has, so we're objectifying this thought now. How does this thought make me feel? It makes me feel lousy. It makes me feel sad. It makes me feel ashamed of myself. Um, and then what does it make you want to do? It makes you want to eat that bag of potato chips. Okay, so we're, we're seeing, even by the line of questioning, we're bringing mindfulness to this thought in an informal way because we're, we're starting to look at it more objectively. Then we ask ourselves the question, this is my adaptation of it, which is, um, uh, what would be there if that thought wasn't there? Mm. What would be there mm. if that thought wasn't there? A lot of people say, you know, oh, I'd feel more, I guess I'd feel more relief, I'd feel more motivated, I guess I'd feel more confident, this type of stuff. Okay, so that thought is really powerful. It's not even absolutely true, and it's really controlling you. So we start to objectify. Then we kind of reverse that for a second, and we say, um, what's the opposite of thought? Um, I'm a good person. And here are these other four questions that I've developed to kind of work with enhancing, encouraging positive beliefs in ourselves, which is, um, is it true? I'm a good person. Typically, the answer would be no. That's, I don't believe that. Is it possible that it's true? Is there anyone on this planet that might look at you and say you're a good person? Well, I guess it's possible that it's true. I guess so-and-so might say that. It's possible that it's true. Um, okay, so if you were to step into that possibility for a moment, um, you know, if you were kind of to try that on, believing, you know, that, you know, what would be different? What would you, what would, how would it make you feel? What would it make you want to do? And um, a lot of people, some people say, oh, I'd make me more free, make me more open, I'd feel more confident, whatever. But a lot of people say, actually, what happens is they feel really afraid in that moment. Fear arises. And so because well, they can't possibly let themselves believe that because if they do, mm. they be let down or something, you know, something like that's going to happen. That's a term called foreboding joy. They're going to be mm. kind of, they're going to be caught off guard. They're going to be let down. They're going to be hurt right. in some way. And so we start working with that uncomfortable feeling then. So now we get into this real important natural antidepressant called self-compassion, which is self-compassion is a recognition that I'm struggling right now with the inclination to want to support myself and understanding that I'm also not alone in this. And so if you just look statistically how many people are depressed um, or get depression, I mean, it's a gigantic number in the millions and millions and millions. And so, um, and so we're not alone in this. But in this moment, I'm feeling sad, guilty, ashamed. I feel it in my body, here, in my chest, heaviness in my face, whatever it might be. The, the question then is, um, uh, I, you say to yourself, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm having a difficult moment. In life, there's difficult moments. I'm experiencing one of them right now. How can, I, can I be kind to myself? What do I need right now? is the question. What am I needing? So we start to develop a whole understanding of our needs, um, you know, what our needs might be, and I flesh this completely out in the book so that people can create a whole vocabulary and deeper understanding of what their needs might be in difficult moments so that they can, they're able to kind of grab onto them. After they interrupt that, that depression loop in that moment, mm-hmm. they're able to come to the feeling, they're able to soften around it, and understand maybe what they're needing and begin to apply that. What they're needing might be something soothing. It could be petting their animal, their pet or something like that. It could be going out for a walk. It could be going into a mindfulness practice. It could be switching on an audio from some guided meditation that's more of self-compassion related. It could mm. be a whole number of things. Reaching out to a friend. What am I needing right now? Having a better understanding of myself and my needs. And in doing that, we create balance. We also create confidence. And we create this sense that I'm worth paying attention to. So we create mm. this great sense of worthiness. So that's a natural antidepressant, yeah. self-compassion. Mindfulness creates a, a shift, certain shifting in the brain that looks the opposite of depression as well. And so does compassion practices and play. Mm. Play is a thread that runs through all of this, the, the importance of engaging in life um, in, purpose, in a purposeful thing or a purposeless thing that is enjoying, satisfying, and interesting. And, it's, you know, again, another natural enterprise. So we go into all these different things, the way mindfulness and various compassion practices and play are, um, are natural antidepressants. Mm, it's catching that negative loop, being mindful about it, and making a right turn into much more of a gentle, compassionate consideration of yourself. It's a, it's a wonderful book. It, it's a wonderful practice. So in the interest of time, what take-home message can you share with our listeners with respect to mindfulness? Well, I would say this. Uh, most of us walk around in the world on autopilot. It's not, it's not our fault. It's just we're, we're conditioned by, you know, um, believing certain things, seeing, seeing, seeing certain, certain things growing up. Um, we're, we're cued, our brains are cued by our environment constantly, also by internal cues. We're, me- we're meant to be... 
were almost in some ways meant to be like automatons in this world. And the message is you don't need to be enslaved by your past reactivity. And you can, there is far more possibility and um, opportunity to create uh, mastery, you know, around your mind so that you can um, live the life you want to live. You can live more intentionally and purposefully. Um, you don't need to be enslaved by your bad habits. Um, and, but, but, I would, but, and at the same time, this, this is, there's some training involved in this. And there's a lot huh. of courses that can teach you this, online ones and person ones. The six-month course in Mindful Living is developed particularly to give you, the, again, the time, the space, and the high-touch support to be able to foster and prepare your mind in a way that actually integrates this material in a way that catches and sticks. So, Elijah, basically then the, the main ingredient that people are going to learn to integrate as a result of the course and that really captures mindfulness is what? Uh, more, more confidence over their, uh, over their minds and their life. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd say really that's it. You know, the more ability to, to, to feel a greater sense of, of ease, um, appreciation, uh, be able to be grateful for the good times, grateful, grateful during the more difficult times, um, feel far more in control of their, their minds and their lives. Mm. I know one of the things, I mean, I love your message, and I know one of the things in many of your writings that you've shared is that gratitude is really the antidote to anxiety, worry. It really pulls us into a really good place. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show and for your wonderful contributions in expanding our our understanding of mindfulness. I know this was just a mini course, and I'm really inviting our listeners to go to your website, take your course. It's an invaluable asset in your lives. I want to thank my listeners. You can hear this in any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on podcasts, on iPhone, iTunes, and Sketcher. Now, next week, we have Cheryl Bradshaw. She'll be discussing a terrific book, How to Like Yourself. She really talks to teens, and her book is A Teen's Guide to Quieting Your Inner Critic, very similar to some of what we spoke about today, and Building Lasting Self-Esteem. Feel free to drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. And until next week, please take care. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.